0: Shop the Sherwin-Williams 4-Day Super Sale and get 40% off paints and stains from June 7th through the 10th. With prices starting at $29.39, it's the perfect time to transform your space with color. Whether you're looking to revamp your bedroom, living room, or home office, we have you covered with bold hues, soothing neutrals, and everything in between. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details.
1: Kills the show that thinks we shouldn't bail out the hpv bank uh you mean uh svp
2: svb silicon valley bank?
1: yeah or the hpv bank <laughs> going, yes i i think i i think that's correct but i'm going with hpv bank because i don't think we should bail them out either uh i'm liz winstead joined by my co-host moji alamo dale
3: hello and marie khan hello everyone Coming up on today's show, we mess with Texas. We'll fill you in on a creepy dude from Galveston suing the friends of his ex-wife for helping her get abortion pills and a draconian judge in Amarillo who's desperate to end access to an abortion medication. Plus,
2: author and activist Sabia Wade joins to talk about her new book, Birthing Liberation, and about being a full-spectrum doula from womb to tomb.
1: All that and Molly with a steaming news dump of big stories of the week. But first, some updates. Oh, oh my God. We got an update first on the abortion case we have been hearing so much about out of Texas.
2: You mean the one we've been waiting a full month for some movement on? Some movement,
1: and we didn't have that much movement. Uh, Judge in Amarillo actually finally heard from both the plaintiffs and from the Justice Department. And it seems like this judge has basically said, hey, you anti-abortion pals of mine, help me figure out how I can help you destroy abortion as we know it, because I'm not sure I have the jurisdiction. It's wild. And the anti- Is that the good news? That's the good news. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, yeah. that's the good news. And, And so they were like, well, you know, it just feels like they rushed it along. And the judge was like, did you rush it along, DOJ? And they were like, no. And he's like, mm, I think you rushed it along. And then, and then the judge was like, uh, hey, buddies of mine over here who I really want to help destroy abortion. Has there been any cases that you can cite that has a judge has been able to actually overturn an FDA ruling? And they're like, mm, no, but we think they rushed it. And the judge was like, mm, sounds like they rushed it. And the DOJ is like, over here, it's fine. Viagra took half the time. We're good. And he's like, "Mm, I think we rushed it. I'll give you my decision in a couple of days. So that's basically the synopsis of what happened.
2: So what's Big Erection saying for Viagra? I just want to know that they're weighing in.
1: Nobody uh, who is working at Big Erection has been challenged at all in court. Big Erection has gotten a free pass uh, or big boner. However big you boner. prefer to call it, um, yeah. Nobody seemed to be mad when they rushed Viagra. That's to their C four
3: name, big boner,
4: <laughs> big boner.
1: And also there, it's also just so you know, boner pills are more dangerous than medication abortion by
2: like magnitudes, by yes. so much.
1: But the biggest magnitude stat that you need to know is for twenty years in the United States, and since nineteen eighty eight in France. Abortion medication has been safe. And just so you know in the US, since it was been since it was legalized in 2000, 5.2 million people have used this two-part regimen in medication abortion and there have been 28 reported deaths linked to not even clear that it was actually connected to this medication, abortion, this regimen. So,
2: and to put this into some context, we were looking at other medications that were pulled from the market, and they'd have stats like eight deaths in six months, right? Like real dangerous stuff. Yeah. That is not the abortion medication. So, to recap this
1: one, the hearing has happened. The judge seems clearly wanting to make this work for the anti abortion movement, but. Maybe there's a hint that he simply cannot. He said he would issue his ruling soon. So we will be waiting for that. And we'll let you know as soon as we hear something. Um, Update on Walgreens. You've been hearing about Walgreens in the news. Well, Walgreens, you know, they were like, oh, they kowtowed to pressure after the FDA said that they could dispense medication abortion. Uh, 20 attorneys general from shitty states said, No, we're going to sue your asses if you do that. So they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. We probably won't do that then in 20 states, even though some of those states still have legalized abortion.
2: And if you want a deep dive, Liz and I talked about it
1: forever last week. So listen to the last pod. We did the anatomy of this whole Walgreens thing. So if you want to hear about all of that last week, please do. But the update on this story is that the manufacturer of Mifeprex, which is one of the medications, said, we're just not going to give it to Walgreens in 31 states because we're just terrified of lawsuits. So Mifeprex, fuck you. I cannot believe you're denying almost 50 million people of reproductive age access to medication abortion at your drugstores of Walgreens. It's terrible. I want to second that. Fuck you. It's really bad. So just to button this Walgreens story next week, the American Pharmacists Association are having their annual meeting in Phoenix and on the docket is revisiting this group's policies on mifepristone. And reproductive health. So we're going to be following that story as well, because who knows what these pharmacists are going to do and what kind of policies they're going to adopt for their own associations. But Marie, you've got an update for us over about something that's happening in Poland.
3: Yes. One of the activists there, one of the one of the practical support Folks there, really, who's helping people get abortion care. Justina Vidronska, she's part of the powerfully named abortion dream team. And she was just sentenced to eight months community service for supporting folks in in self-managing and getting access to the abortion medication pill there. So as a reminder to folks, this this is big because it hasn't happened before yet. And this is just an example of the criminalization we see threatened at other folks. Even though it's community service, she's she's being watched. She's being monitored. And, you know, thinking about that for all the things that we know activists and practitioners are doing here in the U.S., we need to really remain cognizant of these. We'll be watching these stories and going live on social with updates. So make sure you're
2: following us at Abortion Front across all platforms. And here's Molly to drop a steaming pile of this week's news on you.
0: Thanks, friends. What a week. Uh, America has fully jumped the shark, will not be renewed for another season. Now, this dump is a dark one, a tarry stool, if you will. So uh, please prepare yourselves. First up, South Carolina anti-abortion lawmakers have put forward a bill that would subject people who get abortions to the death penalty. That's correct. So-called pro-life politicians want to kill people for pregnancy outcomes. They weren't satisfied telling us to go to hell. Now they're Attempting to send us there directly, and on to another state that wants to give you hard time for your hard times. In Pennsylvania, a 21-year-old gave birth prematurely and took the baby to the hospital where it died. She's now being charged with third-degree murder. As you can see, there's a very fast-growing and alarming trend of states making sure that pregnancy is a jail or a death sentence. Uh, really puts a damper on the pregnancy announcement. Congratulations on your little bundle of evidence. (laughs) Not as fun anymore. And you know what? I'm going to end on some bad art news because that's always fun. Arkansas lawmakers have given the green light for an anti-abortion monument for the unborn to be built at the state. Capital. We said we wanted infrastructure, not an infant structure. (laughs) I'm really glad that we're spending time and money on a monolith to misogyny when Arkansas is 47th in education. I guess on the bright side, I'll finally have a place to go to celebrate the ghost of my blood clots. That's it for me. Back to you guys. Oh my god! Thank you, Molly,
1: for bringing us the Tari stools of the week. So fucking. Unbelievable. Oh, just dark and streaky. Dark and streaky. <laughs> I know. It just like, but it's it's just I, I just don't even know anymore, you know? And we have more. Please don't tune out. We have more stories to tell you about. I think we'll transition to the meaty stories of the week that we're gonna do a little bit more deep diving into. Marie's gonna kick us off with some potential good news,
3: right, Marie? I am so excited to get to talk about Ohio, where we love the people and hate most of the politicians and pastors. And what's really exciting about this is it's a positive, proactive story. Pro-abortion Buckeyes are stepping up and pursuing a state referendum to put abortion in their constitution. The Ballot Board Office gave their approval so now folks can work to gather signatures and get a constitutional amendment onto November ballots for Ohioans.
2: Yay! <laughs> I love <a> ballot measure!
1: <laughs> Marie, I think that people need to be reminded why ballot measures are so important.
3: Yes, Liz. So the beauty of them is that it's harder to gerrymander. So if you're a politician, yeah, you're going to continue to work harder to disenfranchise voters, close polls, not open polls, not allow water. But when you're not able to segregate people into areas to dilute their vote, it's harder to ignore them. And in the last season, 2022's uh, edition of Real Ballot Measures in America We saw a record six states that unequivocally said they support abortion rights. And these are states that these are the voters of Kansas, California, Michigan, Vermont, Kentucky and Montana. And I really have faith that Ohioans, if they're allowed a voice and if they're allowed to think about others, it's going to be supporting abortion access in their state. I almost feel like people don't even have to. Like, generally, we know that, like, across this country, there is broad
2: support for abortion access. So, Mm -hmm. like... It's just about getting people to show up at the ballots more than like actively changing hearts and minds. Voters know what they want.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I think, though, the thing that's interesting is after this sort of wave in 2022 that Marie just talked about these six states, Ohio, who has a terrible legislature, just really like super majority anti-abortion and an anti-abortion governor. They were like, how can we stop the people from having their say, oh, let's try and pass a law where you have to have 60% of the vote to get a ballot initiative passed. So that's some of the sneaky shenanigans happening. Um, Marie, for their ballot initiative, I know Michigan, every state is different. How many signatures do they need on their ballot for them to make it um, officially get onto the ballot in November?
3: They have through July, I'm not sure which date in July, but it's 400,000 signatures, which is definitely doable. They And I should also let folks know the actual language of the amendment, which I'm especially excited about, is um, it would guarantee that every individual has the right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including, but not limited to, decisions on contraception, fertility treatment, continuing one's own pregnancy, miscarriage care, and abortion. So this is a reproductive justice-centric, a ballot. That would put such amazing language into that constitution.
2: This sounds incredible. I'm sure the antis are excited. Have they started foaming at the mouth yet? They've kicked in. They have a $5 million
1: ad campaign that just started that literally kicks off by saying, your child wants to have ge- changed their gender or have an abortion, blah, blah, blah. It's taking it out of the hands of the parents. And they're like, and and Ugh. and one of the things that I don't love about this amendment is that it doesn't give autonomy to teens. It keeps the parental notification mm-hmm. status in Ohio, so it's a big fat lie. So the, it's just all scares for 5 million dollars of scare scare scares. So we have to help the folks of Ohio. So it's
2: anti-classic,
3: got it. Yeah, we have to help the folks of Ohio know what's the truth cuz they're going to go hard I do think it's ironic that the organization, the coalition of anti-choicers in Ohio is called Protect Ohio Women. Like you even recognize you're making POW prisoners out of people with uteruses. Right?
1: Oh, my God, like, Marie, that is P.O.W. Amazing. Just what the hell? <laughs> prisoners of the anti-abortion war. <laughs> oh, my God, Marie, that is next level. Amazing. Well, good luck to them. Anything we can do, let's uh if you're in Ohio. Find out how you can help get out the word and go door to door because that is what we need. All right, Moji, you're taking us back over to Texas where good things always happen.
2: Can we ever leave Texas? Oh, my gosh. Uh, So some Texas husband has decided the best way to get back at his former wife. He's not even married to this woman. Is to sue her friends for, well, basically being good friends and helping her get the abortion that she needed. So this sounds crazy, but it's Texas. So of course he got two high profile lawyers who love to use the law in creative ways, especially when it's against people they don't like. And they're bringing lawsuits based on group messages. That's right.
1: And now this is like the first lawsuit, isn't it, Moji, that's happened since this whole
2: bounty hunting, we can press charges. There's one against an abortion provider who said he'd he'd, uh, done abortions, but that got thrown out. So this is the first one that is like, going somewhere. And it actually has the architect of the SB8 law, the law that created a bounty hunter uh, law in Texas in 2021, back when we had Roe. I don't know if you guys remember those times. We used to have this law called Roe v. Wade. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, he's one of the lawyers from Texas who is defending this ex-husband and then Marie's favorite ex-boyfriend, Risco kane
3: yes <laughs> yeah. I, heard, I heard he's got his baby teeth still he's,
2: and he's really exciting because in 2022 he sent a bunch of uh cease and desist, desist letters to uh abortion funds that had no legal merit he's also the he's
1: also a sponsor of the texas bounty hunting law mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he looks like a fun-sized chucky doll marie coined him, that, him and that is uh <laughs> so true so and also just to point out He's still in the Texas Ledge. He's doing this in his spare time. So this is his hobby. By the way, he doesn't play Scrabble. He files lawsuits against people who help people have abortion. But let's just talk about this for a second, because um, there is so many things wrong with this lawsuit that I don't even know.
2: I don't even know where to begin. Any other state, it wouldn't even gotten this far. Right. It's just that it's Texas because the lawsuit says that self-managed abortion is murder. Right. It says it. But also the law says you can't sue a person that had an abortion. And this is a civil suit, not a criminal suit. So like, how do you have a civil suit against abortion? And why are you naming
1: how
3: do you have a civil suit against a murder? Yeah, right. <laughs> Feels like your murder wasn't a murder then maybe.
1: But also when you read the suit, the person who had the abortions name is all over the suit. But if you can't sue someone for having an abortion, then to me, that's like HIPAA violation possibly. Yeah. And also yeah. just like destroying this person's personal life uh, when they're not even involved. Not to mention when you read the the claim or what do you call it? The lawsuit. It reads like a play by play of somebody trying to escape this abusive person.
2: Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. And somebody trying to escape the abusive person and having incredible friends like they literally entered the group chats. Into the lawsuit. And like her friends are in a word, amazing, (laughs) like such good people, like the friends that any of us would have. It's there. She basically had her own personal Marie and Liz's, like lucky her. Yeah. This is mostly to shame her and her friends. Yeah. There's no other point of this lawsuit, right? Suing for a million dollars. And it just seems
1: like if you get a chance to read, I would definitely read the lawsuit because I don't understand why anybody thought that this made the person's the ex-husband look good. Yeah. It made it look like she was in a very sketchy marriage and that um, she didn't know how to get out of it. And personally, you know, I had an abortion when I was 16 by a person who was abusive to me. I didn't know how to get out of the relationship, but I knew that if I didn't have an abortion that I would be stuck with that person forever. And so I could really relate to this person's like, I just need to get, I don't know how to leave him. Like, I feel like, you know, your friends are always like, he's a garbage. And you know, you, you're caught when someone's mm-hmm. abusive. And so her friends were being so awesome about like, let's get you this abortion. Let's help you figure out how to, how to then leave the relationship. But it was very cool. I just feel like it's so gross. And I hope that, that her dignity can be kept private and that these women are, are celebrated for being awesome friends.
2: They're really the friends that we
1: all need. And I just don't know how it's going to play out. You know, I don't know what's going to happen because it's Texas.
2: Because it's Texas. If it was anywhere else, it wouldn't have even gotten this far. Yeah. Oh. Well, we'll figure it out. We'll we'll follow this story because it's going to
1: really, um, how this story ends up and plays out is going to be, I think a lot of eyes will be watching this. A lot of bad people will be watching this to see, if they want to like move, move forward and create laws that solidify this kind of behavior, which I hope it doesn't.
2: Well, there's another story, Liz, is you're up. And this particular story literally has more questions and outrage than answers. I
1: have to tell you that I've read this story 12 times and I'm still unsure how I feel about it. <laughs> so the headline is in settling a dispute between a divorced couple about who some frozen embryos belong to, a Virginia judge uses a slavery law to rule that they are property. Now, I I don't even know whose property. Does that classify the embryos as people? Is this personhood? And why the fuck did they invoke slavery? Did they have to go back and do that? Like, there's so much to unpack here that I am literally hoping that the two of you can guide me to some place of, of like where I can land on this, because I don't know.
2: Liz, I already read it, also read it six times and I have the same questions and little clarity, but I do have a favorite quote. And this is uh, by Solomon Ashby and he's an African-American lawyer in Virginia who was like part of a lawyer's association. And he was like, I am baffled that Gardner, that's the judge, felt the need to delve into slavery to answer a question about embryos, which also wasn't a thing during slavery. Even if Virginia case law is thin on how to handle this question. And I just it's weird how judges in our country like to reach back to the worst parts of our mm-hmm. country's history. Right. So pull out rulings. Right. Especially Virginia
3: judges.
1: Right. Well, and also if you're invoking slavery at all and that you can't own people, so no one gets to own these embryos, are these embryos people? And what kind of rabbit hole is that? You know what I mean? Like I don't know and 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 the and the and the sort of the crux of it was you can't buy or sell them therefore they're chattel. So if, if this stands then frozen embryos are human life, human slaves? Are they personhood? Like, I don't know. But first of all, I don't know any human that can live in sub-zero, 170-degree temperatures, which is how embryos have to live in that vat. So I don't know. The whole thing feels weird. It feels weird to bring up slavery. That just feels so holy. I mean, people, ethicists were like, what a garbage judge. Like, across the board, everyone was like, what the fuck? But I honestly don't know what to make of this and where it goes.
2: Yeah, I was also confused. I literally went back and reread it a couple times and I was like, this is this give this gives me the ick. Yeah. And I'm unsure what to do with it. Me too.
1: I'm gonna land on it is a vague personhood ruling that I feel very uncomfortable with. That's where I'm landing.
3: And we need to watch who this judge is friends with.
1: Watch who this judge, yes, <laughs> and what it means then, because if couples are fighting over embryos and no one gets to have them then what what happens like I don't know do they just sit in perpetuity forever in the frozen
2: vat we don't have answers this is funny because it was like we're in the audio medium and I'm literally shrugging
1: yes (laughs) yeah I don't know I know and so uh it it just feels very you know I mean remember the Sofia uh, Vergara case
2: Oh, yeah. like the same thing and not. It's very same, same, but different, right? Like
1: this woman is infertile after a cancer treatment. My heart
2: goes out to her. The whole thing is a mess. But also you can't force your ex into into parenthood.
1: Yeah. And so I don't, I just don't know. I mean, I just don't know what happens when you have all these frozen embryos and they just sit there and bath. So uh, we're going to follow it. But now, Moji, you interviewed somebody who brought. Some amazing positivity to a very, very dark first 30 minutes of this podcast.
2: Yeah, I interviewed an incredible person. Every part of my next guest's work centers the liberation of all people through reproductive justice. They're the founder of Birthing Advocacy Doula Trainings and For the Village, a nonprofit providing doulas at no or low cost to low income and marginalized communities in San Diego. Please welcome author, educator, and full-spectrum doula, Sabia Wade. Sabia, thank you for joining us.
4: Hey, Moji. I'm excited (laughs) to be here.
2: I'm excited to have you come and talk about the work that you do. First off, in case anyone listening at home isn't familiar, can you tell us a little bit about what a full-spectrum doula is and what goes into it for the work you do?
4: Yeah, so full-spectrum doula is... I mean, when we look at like the basic definition of a doula as a non-medical support person, usually people uh, connected with the birth experiences specifically, um, but full spectrum work really opens up all of that. So I'm here to support any type of reproductive health experience from birth to abortion to postpartum. I also do death work. So anything, really. <laughs> and then also I'm here to also provide the support for any type of person in those experiences. And I think specifically when we're talking about reproductive health, people are obviously a very like gendered and, and binary in their way of thinking, but I'm here to support everyone. If you have a situation going on, you could be queer, trans, cis, whatever you got going on. I don't care. I'm, I'm here. What are we doing? Let's go. So, so in my work specifically, I've been doing this work since 2015 um, and it's been like many different iterations of the work. So starting with working with incarcerated folks and people that who use drugs um, in birth spaces, continue to do that work, shifting to building my organizations, my nonprofit for the village um, in San Diego, my doula training organization, Birthing Advocacy Doula Trainings, and now doing all of that, but being very heavily right now in death work. Um, and so my work is like, how do I get everyone to be aware of the experiences that people moving through the full spectrum of experiences? Um, and also, how do I get the, su- the support to the people who need it most?
2: Death work is an exciting new field. I feel like uh, my mother brought that up to me just this week about ab- abortion, death work and doula work. And she was mm-hmm. very, very excited.
4: I know, it's like, how are we so excited about death, right? But like... <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> but it's, it's a like, transition. It <laughs> yeah, it happens, w- right? And it's also yeah. like death work is also like, it very much emphasizes... The process of grief, I think, and like grief doesn't have to be like the death of a person, but it's a you know the the shifts that happen before you you know have an abortion to so who you are after you have an abortion, right? Whatever that experience is for you, good or bad, um, it's a shift that happens when you become a parent and you are like, who the fuck am I? You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> it's it can really grief is always around, so I think like death work, even when it's not necessarily the death of someone or something, is still still around 24 seven. And it's one of the many,
2: not everyone births, but uh, everyone experiences death in some ways. Yes. Yes, for sure. <laughs> I chose to have children later in life. And I, I was, fo- I was almost 40. And my mom was like, oh, I just assumed you weren't doing that. And I was like, thanks mom for not being on my butt about
4: this. <laughs> <laughs> mom is not like really on me about it. She mentions it here and there, but I also co-parent with my friend. So we have a five-year-old and an 11-year-old. And so she's getting all the grandma mm-hmm. love from them. You know what I mean? But I'm like, having a good child out of my body, it's out of the question. <laughs> uh, having done it, it's a
2: wild choice.
4: <laughs> having witnessed it several times, I'm like, no, I'm good. And I'm a doula. I love it. But it's like, no, I'm good. My body? No, thanks.
2: (laughs) That's what reproductive justice is, right? The ability to
4: make these decisions. The right to have or not have children. And Sabia is choosing not to.
2: Your book, Birthing Liberation, How Reproductive Justice Will Set Us Free, it just came out on March 7th. And it is all about the ways that reproductive justice presents the path to liberation for all of us. So what inspired you to write this book?
4: Yes. So like I said, going into my work, starting in birth work in a very like, I don't know if it's controversial, but I worked with incarcerated folks, formerly incarcerated folks, people who use drugs actively in recovery. Um, I jumped into the work very like green, but like also really excited to serve a population that was underserved. Right. And like I learned about reproductive justice and I learned so much about like inclusion, learn so much about like trauma, like all these things. And then as I was like, you know, on my path to be a teacher, holding spaces that I hold, just always just like witnessing what it's like to be in groups of people that are so different, but are also all there for the same mission, right? And I think the mission for us specifically is reproductive justice, but I think the bigger mission for all of us is collective liberation. And so when I started to see those spaces that were based around birth and abortion and reproductive health and all that, I started to see that in like a bigger idea of like, what could the world look like? That's what inspired me. It was like, how do I like take the start from birth, literally, and move it into the world in which we live in, right, as a whole? Because everything starts with birth. We're all born, we have one thing in common coming from the beginning of time. So how do we actually like utilize inclusion? How do we pay attention to our trauma? How do we move through that? How do we talk about the disparities that are happening in birth? Like, how do we do all this? Understanding that my liberation is connected to yours, right? So even though I may not be indigenous, right? And indigenous folks have terrible disparities when it comes to birth. I understand that if I'm supportive of them getting their liberation and the help that they need, it also helps me to get mine. So, to me, it was like, how do I write a book about that? And that's how Birth Liberation, how reproductive justice can set us free, came into the world. It's an incredible book. I really loved when I was reading
2: it. I really loved how you invited, it's actually like you even instructed readers to like feel their feelings and to check in with their discomfort. And I just found that to be a really powerful experience when. Reading these emotional stories you told, you know, some of them, it really felt like you were writing the doula work into the reader's experience, which for me as a person who I love reading, it's my favorite thing to do. And I sometimes get overwhelmed reading. And it was just a different way of like experiencing a book. And you literally saying like, no, just be with that. Like, don't you don't have to do too much. Just like interrogate it and be with it. Was that your intention? (laughs) Like, what made you think like this is the best way to write that book?
4: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for that one. That's the the wild thing about like this whole like releasing a book thing is like I don't want people to just pick it up and read it and tell me in two days that they've read it. I don't I don't want that. That doesn't really it doesn't really satisfy me. But I think for me, it's really about the embodiment of the work, right? So and I think in the world that we live in right now, everything is so fast paced, right? Where we're always being inundated with so much information. There's always something going on. It's so much that, We're aiming to do, especially as organizers, especially as people who are doing like political work. And we have little time for stillness and we have little time for just being. And I think that's what's missing. (laughs) Like, I think when we move into like the impact that we're trying to drive because of capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy, it's like this idea of like, you got to get there, get to the goal. You know, don't even pay attention to what's happening. Don't even integrate the information And I've seen some people get to the goal, whatever that goal may look like for them. But by the time they get there, they're like wore down, tore down, you know, like exhausted. They can't enjoy the fruits of anything that they've done because it was done at such a fast pace. And so for me, this book was, it was intentional for like, even at the beginning of the book, I'm like, how to read this, sit down somewhere Mm -hmm. and create a space that feels good for you. Cause I don't just want you to like logically read the words and say like, oh, this disparity makes sense or this thing makes sense. I want you to actually feel it. And I feel like if people can feel something even if it's not to their personal experience but just the ability to feel something integrates it deeper into your actual being and implants it at a deeper level, you know, like at a seed Mm -hmm. root level versus like the surface level, but here's just a pretty flower. Where it's like, (laughs) no, what's actually holding it in? What's keeping it going? Even when that flower is cut, how do you keep this conversation going? So for me, it really was about planting the seeds of how people can do this work, paying attention to their own inner, like internal landscape, and then putting that out into like the external piece of how we do the work.
2: And you articulate that, I think, so well. You you say, you say, if we want to create change by disconstructing systems and innovating ways to exist that have not been created yet, we have to start within. It's going to get ugly. It's going to be cathartic. Even more important, it's necessary for continued, healthier experience. And also you wrote this for Everyone, like you're like, this is for BIPOC people and non-BIPOC people, like everyone should be reading this book. It's a really beautiful way to talk about the path towards collective liberation. What would you like our audience to know about how to begin this process if they are waiting for their Amazon book to arrive or not Amazon?
4: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Or wherever you buy it. Or wherever, the independent
2: bookseller that you're going to buy it from.
4: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, I would say the first thing to start the process is really just knowing where you are right now. That is the beginning of it. So yes, coming into the space, wanting to read the book, wanting to get this information, but also like, where are you right now? Where is your mental health right now? Where's your physical health right now? What are, what are the needs that you have right now? Where are you? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Are you happy in your life? Are you needing more care over here? Right? Like, Really, starting with yourself as a, a point to always return to. For me, it's off, It's like I have a I have a thing, a really big thing about us being so dependent. Like I have this course that I do, and it's called Learning Your Algorithm. And it came because when Roe um, versus Wade was reversed, overturned, so on and so forth, people were like, you know, obviously, we all were chaotic. Um, okay. <laughs> all of us, all of us, and still are right. But the thing that I think I tried to contribute to the conversation around that is like. We have to return to ourselves because the world is gonna keep going. Right. So, how do we return to ourselves and implement the work that we wanna do without losing grasp of self? So for me, it's like getting this book and starting this book is all like start with you and then the work will continue. But if you're dis I wanna know if you're dysregulated. Do you know if you're dysregulated? Do you even know what it means? Like, do you know if you're happy? Do you know if you're feeling? Have you took time to like? check in with your body. I don't need you to do the work for me, like, until you do the work for yourself. And I feel like, even in my like romantic requirements, I'm like, I don't want you giving from a deficit. So like pour into yourself first, let this book guide you into that process while learning so that you can actually like consistently have an output into like contributing to collective liberation. That's incredible. You call yourself a birth neoterist? So I say birth neoterist it's okay. something ne- but I can't say that. I'm from Jersey. My mouth doesn't move that way. <laughs> I feel like I just mispronounce things sometimes and that's just fine. Listen, my vowels <laughs> can be really hard for me. But yes, yeah, so I call myself a birdfields, Harris. Um, and the reason for that is it's so wild. When you write a book and you get all of your thoughts out, it gives you so much more space to think or to like get to that next level of like what it's you like can really tap into.
2: Journaling in the extreme.
4: Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like oh, now I have space for this thought. So anyway, um, so when I wrote the book and I was like, okay, this is all good. I love my book. Da da da. I was like, man, I feel like there's something. There's something. And so the <laughs> something for me, which I think has been a reflection of me writing this book, but also people that are in my community and see me doing the work that I do, they're always like, you do so much, and like it doesn't make sense to everyone because they're like you're an investor and you're in this and you're in the financial world and you're over here. And like, when I'm a manifesting generator, double sag, I just have to have a lot going on. That's just who I am as a person. But for me, it was like, my pull into the financial world was like, I need to understand how money works because we're doing the groundwork, but I don't see movement. Where's the money? (laughs) Like, I want to understand these pieces outside of what's in front of me, if that makes sense. And so with birth neoterrorism, It's my um, addition, I guess you would say, to reproductive justice in the sense of how do we make, again, kind of panning out from just the reproductive health world, how do we go outside of that and use that information and knowledge to create more sustainability and more innovation in the reproductive health and reproductive justice space? So that's like how that's all put together for me. How does that look? So I'll say it here because I haven't actually said it um, anywhere else, but and um, one of the things I'm working currently on in the background is actually building called the Burf Neo-Terrorist Institute. And that will be a space that actually collaborates all these things. So it has like these four pillars that kind of based on like community, community, education, but financial pieces and like a couple other things that really come into a space of like, how do we use reproductive justice and, and create sustainable systems? How do we promote education in spaces or create more access to education that may not be accessible. Um, so I'm currently working on this space of putting it all together because it, it makes sense in my head. And I see people mm-hmm. seeing the flow that I'm doing and they're like, oh, it makes sense when you do it, but I don't want to be the only one doing it.
2: Right. Cause you have to replicate <laughs> the systems that work and the systems that bring us all to liberation. Cause yes. <laughs> you talk about it being internal work. And I think it's really important for people to work on themselves and come from a place of power, but then we need to let that power spread out and exactly. let it replicate and
4: reproduce. <laughs> you get it, you get it. And the other um, pillar of birth, the Birth Neal Terrence Institute is also research, right? Because a part of like me being, I'm in like the investor community and a lot of it is like people want to move money where they actually understand why it's going there, not from just a, an aspect of like, this would be a good thing, even though that should be all I need to say, but that's not the world that we live in. So it can also possibly <laughs> research around these things that are not often researched The perspectives are not actually, um, and voices are not brought into the space. So I'm currently building that, which is like a whole big project, which you got it out of me because I haven't told nobody. I'm so but excited you- <laughs> and I need you to make sure that I know when it starts. <laughs> The next iteration and probably the next book will be about that process. Oh, you already started on the next book, girl. When I was at, when I was writing this book, I was at (laughs) 40,000 words and I had to I had to write between 60 and 70. And so I got to 40,000 words and I literally started emailing and texting my editor and my agent. And I was like, why did y'all make me do this? This was not a good idea. Why am I writing a book? Like, I'm irritated. Like, I was just (laughs) like, what? I got to write 20,000 more words? Like, what else can I say, right? (laughs) But of course, like, as it started to flow, it was like, it made sense. It's fine. Whatever. It's a process. But then also I was, I'm never doing this again. And then like, soon as I finished the book and I started to work on just kind of breathing away from the book for a while, I was like, damn it. I know what my second book is going to be. <laughs> I have more to say. <laughs> I have more to share. I love that. And so my my like agent, Laura Lee, she's like, okay, well, we'll just see. Like, you know, like when it starts and you want to start building that proposal, and doing the process and we start shopping around in the next year or two, but I can't help it. It's, it's already <laughs> there. You know, the seed is already planted. So, and it's also when you work on a book, it's also weird because like, obviously I worked on this book. It's my book, but it's like, it's, this was like a two year, two and a half process, two and a half year process. Writing it
2: or from the proposal to the. From proposal um, to having to the it writing, out. To having it out. Right.
4: Yeah. yeah. So it's also like you see it and you're like, Oh, this is a living, breathing thing. And it's like, a part of me is in a new space. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like a part of me is in that expanded space of like seeing these words and being like, what is the next step now? So it's interesting to be like both here, but also there, if that makes sense.
2: No, it does. I think it, it goes a little bit back to my journal analogy. Like when I get into the flow of journaling, there's always more coming. And when you don't, you look at a page and you're just like, well, now I got nothing and I have nothing mm-hmm. to say. And then you start and you're like, now, now it's been 30 minutes and I have to, feed my child
4: <laughs> <laughs> exactly and i've been getting like feedback you know from people around the book and that's also helping me to be very like introspective about how this is landing right because at first it's a very private situation it's between you and your editors like no one else is seeing it but now that it's out into the world just hearing the feedback and the thoughts and the things that are coming up for folks that part is also very exhilarating and also makes me want to go on my lab and create more.
2: You are a doula. You birth things. <laughs> it's what you do. Except children. Again, like we all don't have to do that. Not for, <laughs>
4: that's not for everyone. <laughs> I'll birth everything.
2: We don't have the, to do that. The human ones. I feel like you've talked so extensively about this book and I really enjoyed it. I just thought it was a a beautiful read and really, you know, I work at a reproductive rights organization. So we talk about reproductive justice and we think about reproductive justice and we try to do our work within a reproductive justice framework. But it was just nice seeing your perspective and like hearing you talk about it. So it was really powerful. And I suggest it for anyone.
4: Thank you. So
2: I could talk to you for probably another 40 minutes.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, I appreciate your kind words. I appreciate you even like flipping the book open um, mm-hmm. and taking the time to read it. And I hope that it's something that, you know, lives with you in whatever ways that are positive and encouraging. Because as you do this work, it's not easy.
2: It's not. It's not. Thank you so much for joining us. And we hope Thank to have you. you back when you have the next book out. Yes, for sure. <laughs> You can purchase Birthing Liberation right now. Stay up to date with Sabia's work at sabiawade.com and find her sharing info and black luxury recommendations on Instagram and Substack at Sabia Wade. The links are in our show notes.
3: What a wonderful interview!
2: Amazing. It was so good.
3: Let's move on now to the party game that is faster than Monopoly and more fun than Taboo Six Degrees of Abortion. This is when Moji and I take a story from the news and Liz has six chances to link it to abortion. Let's see what Liz is ready for this week. Moji.
2: Oh, yeah. This is so good. So um, Keanu Reeves, eternal heartthrob and man of maybe some of my dreams. uh, He has inspired the name of a new extremely deadly fungicide. (laughs) Uh, It's called the, wait, hold on. I'm going to pull it here. It's called the Keanu Mycins. Um, Some Germans were like, you know what? We need to name it after Keanu Reeves, who was a prince among men. So Liz, can you just spend a little time linking Keanu Reeves to abortion?
1: Yes. Yes, I can. Keanu Reeves starred in Point Break alongside of Patrick Swayze, who starred in Dirty Dancing, the greatest dance musical about abortion ever made. (laughs)
4: That
2: is Six Degrees Classic. Liz, yes. look at you just making it old school. We don't need to ask a producer to tie break. That was beautiful to watch. Mm-hmm. Welcome back, Liz. Welcome Thank back. you. I feel like I've just <laughs> come back in a way that
1: feels um, really great. Um, and if you love that segment of Six Degrees and if you love our podcast, you know that we cannot do it without the help of our fake sponsors. Uh, Marie, would you like to tell us about? This week's fake sponsor.
3: Do you want to work out more, but can't find the time between protesting outside abortion clinics and protesting outside drag queen story hour? Afraid to go to the gym and face the woke Pilates mob? Then Crucifit is the place for you. Crucifit is the workout spot for Christian warriors. Each day at any of our Crucifit caves, the workout board is updated with the grind of the day. Also known as the God. Each God focuses on a specific area to work on and has Christian names like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For example, on Matthew days, you kip for Christ to build your core strength and lung capacity so you can spend hours shouting Bible verses at patients. And save your energy because we end each day with the ultimate challenge, bearing the cross. Each crucifitter finishes their workout pulling a full-sized cross out of the gym and up a hill before planting it into the ground. Jesus dragged his own cross and died for your sins. You can drag a cross to build upper body strength to save them babies. I mean, those huge fetus posters don't hold up themselves. Sign up today for your crucifix membership and use coupon code GODBOD for 10% off your first month. Crucifit, the place to pump for Jesus. That sounds terrible. I feel like when
1: we find out where they're working out, we should be like, when seriously gets through the streets and just be shame.
3: <laughs> yeah. but, but think of those, those red state FSAs. I bet they're just excited. Like, yes, you can go to that gym. We'll cover that membership. We'll cover
1: that membership. Uh, we'll cover it a hundred percent. All of it. Crucifit. Pumping <laughs> for Jesus. I like it, Marie.
2: Mm-hmm. It's good.
3: Are ladies allowed. Unclear. I mean, obviously you, you have, there's cleaning staff. So sure, but I don't know between what hours and yeah, I don't know the agency that they get to have while there.
1: Well, it's a gym I'm never going to. Let's get to our next guest, (laughs) shall we? Coming up is a comedian, circus artist, podcaster, and data scientist who has a lot to say about the crackpot anti-abortion research. Please welcome Dr. Andrea Joins Roy.
5: Hi, Andrea. Hi, Andrea. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, so I'm
1: excited to talk to you about political and social science because I feel like people are super don't understand it. And I'm someone who didn't understand it at all until I started hosting this conference at the University of Florida Gainesville called Frank, which is a gathering of people who do all sorts of amazing social science work, researchers and practitioners to find out basically all the different things that makes people tick. I yeah. fucking love it so much. But you are also a political scientist. You are an aerialist. I believe you are maybe just can do things, some things with your body that are like next level. There's fire in there somewhere.
5: Fire, comedy. <laughs> I'm on fire right now. Your uh, <laughs> listeners can't see, but I'm engulfed in flames. Yes. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So
1: I guess I want to know the order of how, how this all came to be. Did the social science and the political science lead to comedy? Did the comedy
5: lead to the lay it out? Friend. All right. All right. Everyone sit back. I'll I'll sum this up in a mere 24 to 30 hours of uh, biography. I And if uh, a
1: homosexual came into play at any point during this influence, please yes, actually say.
5: Yes. Honestly, homosexuality is at the center of all of this. So I'm so glad you brought that up.
1: Thank you. So good.
5: Yes. I, uh, so first of all, I got to go to this conference. I'm inviting myself to Frank. which does it stand for? Something?
1: Yeah. It, Frank Carell is the person that um, started the conference. I'll okay. send you, I'll get, I'll make sure you get the link to it to come all for right. next year. It's incredible.
5: All right. All right. Definitely inviting myself. And uh, this is related to your question. I've been to the University of Florida in Gainesville only one time, and it was for the U.S. Uh, Collegiate National Synchronized Swimming Championships. And, uh,
2: Because you're also a synchronized swimmer.
5: I was for two years. So, so the, the, the story is that I really, I did dance growing up and I was interested in like politics, international affairs, war, all this stuff. And I went to grad school because I didn't know what else to do. And uh, I went to a grad program in political science. And I didn't really pay attention to the science word. I just was Mm -hmm. like, politics, I'm going to write essays in foreign affairs about the nature of things. And I got there and they were like, actually, we mostly do statistics and game theory and math. And I was like, well, I'm out of here. And then I didn't leave because I'm indecisive. Uh, And I joined the university. I was at the University of Michigan, and I joined the University of Michigan synchronized swimming team because I'd been a dancer and a swimmer. And I was like, we're putting these together. That's what we're doing. And I was having a good time, so because of synchronized swimming, not even exaggerating, I kept going in my statistics courses uh, for a couple of years. So it all it all connects. I never even thought of that connection before, uh, and I got you know persuaded to the to the great light that is quantitative reasoning. And of course, we can do great work with qualitative all that stuff too. Um, but I, I was persuaded into uh, the the math and science world, and so now uh, I really kind of did both from then on together. Like grad school used my brain and the social science I do now causes me to be depressed sometimes and cuz you have to think about all this horrible stuff going on. It's helpful cuz you feel like you're doing something maybe, but it's tough and it's it's wearing and the physical and the comedy are really how I expunge that stress <laughs> from my life and gets me out of my head and the comedy really I mean it it allows me to say what I want to say whereas when you're speaking in science you have to speak with some precision. Right. And you kind of you can't prove theories and you can't be certain. But in comedy, you can be like, this is what I think. So let's go. So it's the three sort of balance each other out. And I do pretty much all three these days. I
2: am stunned and my head is spinning and I'm also (laughs) impressed at the same time. So I think I'm also doing three things. Yes. um, At once right now. Congratulations. (laughs) Yes. We spent a little bit of time on your TikTok and you really, Uh there was one thing I got into that I heard that I really loved and you were going on and the weed about like non-monetary capital. And so one question is like, what is the most underrated non-monetary capital that we all seem to have in our spheres, but we're not using and can use to make things better?
5: Wow, that's a question. All right, uh, take your time. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, it's easy. Feel free
1: to insert homosexual whenever you want to. <laughs>
5: <Yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, I think if more of us used our homosexuality, I will stand on that hill and I will, I will lean in. I will not it, right? disagree. It's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. Kinsey had a point back in the day. Uh, I think, like, this is going to sound so patronizing, but I think just sitting down and thinking creatively and about the world is something we all skip like whether it's because our emotional reaction or our political views or I have like a goal I want to reach and so I see things through a certain lens or I, I teach data science at, at a university and so I was talking to my students literally today someone puts a spreadsheet in front of us with data on whatever it is that we care about and our temptation is to just dive in and be like what what's going up what's going down what's correlated what are the means? And if we all just like took a second and thought, you know what is it I'm trying to understand, what could I be wrong about? What could I be missing in this picture? Why do I feel so angry when I disagree with someone else? Like if I just took a beat to do that, I feel like we'd all learn more. And I think at minimum, social media would be less horrible.
3: I am wondering, and it's a little bit of a pivot. Um, and I also want to remind
5: people that you have a PhD. You are a faculty doctor. member. You teach, yes, <laughs> you're a yeah. doctor. You teach at NYU. <laughs> well, not according to the Republicans, but yes. Otherwise, oh, yes,
2: that's, You have the the Jill Biden effect. I
1: mean, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Yes. They
5: claim Doctor Oz and Doctor <laughs> yes. Phil, so I feel like you're nailing it. That's right. <laughs> that's right. I think we're all doctors relative to Doctor Oz, even yeah. if we never went to past tenth grade.
4: <laughs> nope. Facts. Yeah.
3: Yes. One of the things we see and just grates on us constantly is that in abortion legislation, there aren't peer-reviewed studies. Mm. We don't know if it's because folks who are anti-abortion don't have peers, if they don't trust what they can read. I'm clear. <laughs> yeah. But what are we going to do as a data science person? How can you advise us to advocate, get the mm. correct info on the record? What, what is your community doing? those of you that are are pushing this?
5: Yeah, that's a great question. The, the depressing answer to the second one is I don't want to I'm not speaking for all data scientists, but I have yet to come across any data science research that was like, here's how we're going to get more information uh, and documentation and rigor in understanding abortion access, which sucks. And I'm not saying it's not out there. I'm just saying that the people I'm hearing from are not doing that work. And I'm so glad you brought this up because I think that there's a ton of work that could be done and it wouldn't even be that hard as far as like the data exists on who's getting, you know, how, how it work, turns out, everything that you would want. I'm sure people are writing down. And if you could get past some of the the privacy, you know, issues, you know, in a thoughtful way, not in a like, well, privacy is a drag, but like it really. <laughs> we're, we're not saying get rid of IRB here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there's some serious, uh, some serious issues, but there is interesting work going on uh, there's a there's a doctor in or not doctor a uh, uh, computer scientist she is a doctor but not a medical doctor at MIT called Regina Barbosa and she did an amazing study with Mass General on cancer treatment where she partnered with her doctor she was diagnosed with cancer and she partnered with her doctor she was like is the treatment you're prescribing gonna work for me and has it worked for your previous patients and he was like you know I have all the records but I've never really looked I couldn't say I'm oversimplifying and so they long story short have now partnered and are publishing co-authoring papers where they're sharing what the outcomes are of these treatments. And so all of that is to say that's a proof of concept that I think we could do what you're describing as far as the data that's in abortion clinics and that kind of work uh, and, and the consequences of a lack of action. There's just too much of a gap between the people who kind of like program until the end of time and the people who are doing grassroots work on the ground. And I don't know why that gap exists. I have some ideas. Most of them are around higher education being a scam. I'm going to get fired, right? But I think that we're not (laughs) communicating between worlds enough. We've got like chat GPT on the one hand, and then we have like four different Excel spreadsheets where the variables aren't even named the same thing on another. And everyone's trying their best and we're all busy, but we're not talking to each other. Peer review is not perfect, but I agree that just having some accountability of some kind on these studies would go a long way. And the problem with all of the air quotes, pseudoscience, semi-science, wannabe science claims about the pro-life community that's declaring these things is it's just the same with the anti-vaxxers and everything else where it's just confirmation bias. Yes, Yes. there are cases Mm -hmm. where an abortion doesn't go great or someone feels like maybe that wasn't the right move for them. But you're not looking at that air quotes, data in the context of the broader trends, just like some people have bad reactions after the vaccine. That doesn't mean that everyone has a bad reaction. And so, I mean, more talking between, you know, science and practice and just general requirements of context. It's like you can pull out and tell any story you want with data. And that's what people are doing.
1: Well, also, it's so frustrating, too, because the really good data we have, like there's a big study called the Turnaway Study about what happens mm. when people are actually turned away from access to abortion. Right. You know, that's been peer reviewed within an inch of its life. Right. You know, that shit's boring, right? Yeah. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear that. People want to see, I, oh, you can reverse abortions? Ugh. Some Quack did that fucking thing? You know, so it's also yeah. like what we do, what what is good and comes from our side. It's just affirmation uh, through peer-reviewed study that abortion is
5: fine. I was gonna say it's boring and it becomes kind of, this isn't, you know, I'm interested in science communication. It's not my main area uh, of research. Uh, So I can't tell you like, these are the three things to be sure to do. But I do think that there is a very real problem where whether it's what we're sharing on the internet or what actually makes headlines, is you're absolutely right. Like another day, another, uh, you know, complication-free, you know, set of abortions is not gonna make, the front page of any newspaper mm-hmm. that I know about uh, maybe one that you all run, which would be great, but it's just not- <laughs> <laughs> the most boring and factual
2: newspaper in the world. Yeah. That's
5: what we need. That's what we need. We just need more boring news just for a lot of reasons.
2: Yes. I feel like that's true.
1: So let's talk about your podcast because I love that. I love everything about your podcast it's called majoring and everything. And it's like, first of all, I hope you have interviewed yourself because you are interviewing all these people who are, have like, just, multiple disciplines and doing multiple things. And I would love to know some of the folks that you've had on who blew you away Mm. with their like combo of expertise that they threw at you.
5: Yes. So here's, here's one. And thanks for looking into it. Uh, It's people who do more than one seemingly unrelated thing. And I am increasingly convinced that that might be awesome. And I'm doing it in part because I have such low self-esteem that I was like, maybe if I talk to other people who I think are awesome, I can feel better about my own lack of mastery of any particular field. So that's sort of my own selfish motivation. But one person who I absolutely love and who you should all look up, everyone who's listening, look up this person immediately. His name is John Laster, J-O-N Laster. And he is a comedian, former basketball player, and now a financial activist and tech entrepreneur. And he uh, is, you know, big name in comedy. He hosts at the Comedy Cellar all the time. Uh, But he also, during the pandemic, launched an app called Blap, B-L-A-P-P, that allows people to find Black-owned businesses wherever they are in the world and go and support uh, those businesses if you're looking for, like, literally anything. Like, I need a tailor. I need a haircut. I need a bottle of wine for my whatever. it's kind of like a Google Maps or a Yelp, but for black owned businesses. and he did it in the thick of the pandemic. He's uh you know the professional comedian makes make or made his main living as a comedian performing touring all over the place. Uh, and during the pandemic, during uh 2020, Black Lives Matter and George Floyd and and the fact that uh, black businesses were not doing well at all because of the pandemic, And given uh, all of the other conversations we were having, he was like, there's got to be an easier way for me, just an interested person, to find Black-owned businesses to support in my neighborhood. And he went from that to creating this huge app. And he's partnering with people all across Silicon Valley and doing research. And he's basically just became an entrepreneur. So I love this story because he talks about using the skills that he learned in basketball, the skills that he learned in comedy to do this and be able to do this. And then the way that the stuff he's doing now is informing his comedy. So now he does comedy. That's like social justice related, whereas before it was not. And so they all sort of play together and you wouldn't really normally think of someone doing those three things uh, altogether. So he's awesome. Very much worth following and downloading Black. Literally downloading it right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I- that's incredible.
2: I'm like, Marie's <laughs> already sent me his, uh, his Instagram. I, yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And, and if you're ever in New York, he, he hosted the Comedy Cellar um, uh, most weekend nights.
2: Some of us. Are always in New York.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. How do you find your guests? Uh, with rare exceptions, I'm so biased in that it's just people I know who I think are cool and want to uh, explain their life secrets to me. So I have a something of a bias given my own interests. Usually the people that I talk to, I'm trying to branch out. So so I absolutely take any and all recommendations. I think you three would all qualify. Uh uh (laughs) it's not a very straight i mean i'm not like oh it's It's like most people actually do more than one thing even if you don't realize that you have like you know two things on your linkedin like you most of us are multi-talented even if we tend not, not to realize it but um it's almost always someone who either has one foot in comedy and one foot somewhere else or one foot in science and one foot somewhere else so i'm a little bit biased and and sometimes um circus as well. So another guest I had is my contortion coach, who's also a ceramicist and uh, was on his way to get a PhD in the design of sacred spaces in Japan when he discovered contortion. And so he has uh, sort of like a design background uh, and, and training as well.
1: I want a contortionist sacred space.
2: I feel like we should start taking corporate contortion classes.
5: Oh, now that's an idea. <laughs> boss. That's what I'm saying. There you go. Wow. Team building. Okay. So he, now I'm just, now I'm just, uh, promoting all my friends. So contorture is the name of his program. You can find him on social media as well. Contorture. (laughs) Yeah. It's very painful, but in like a cathartic sort of way.
3: I wish we had more time today. Thank you, Andrea, Dr. Andrea Jones-Roy for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Thank you.
5: Thank thank you you so much.
3: Thank you so much, Andrea. You can listen to their podcast, Majoring in Everything, and follow them on social media at jonesroy, that's R-O-O-Y, and check out their website, jonesroy.com. Folks,
1: that is our show. It was a dark one, but it was a good one. Thank you again to Sabia Wade for joining us. You can follow their work at the links in our show notes, and Birthing Liberation is out now at a bookstore near you. And thank you for listening. We are here. As you navigate these dark, dark days, and we want to be your source of
2: light. Support our pod by subscribing, write a review, give us five stars. It's the best way for our podcast to reach more people. And by doing so, you are helping more people learn about this assault on abortion access. To keep up on all the latest repro news, follow
3: us on social at Abortion Front on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Looking for where you might fit in to do some abortion activism? Look no further than our five-part training series, Operation Save Abortion, available in video and podcast form. Gather friends, watch or listen together, and follow the activity guide for a full experience. Details on the series are at operationsaveabortion.com. And make sure you check out the activist calendar as well, which is chock full of local and national actions and educational opportunities.
1: That's right. And looking for some of those actions, like let's be part of the solution action. Pathways to Wellness, Our Birthing Bodies, is a free virtual event for Black moms and birthing persons to interact with Black healthcare professionals about your needs. Join the Zoom on Friday, April 14th from 1130 a.m. to 1 p.m. for a conversation exploring the intersection between emotional, physical and mental health during and after pregnancy. Sign up at a link in the show notes.
2: Next week, we're joined by Tracy droz Tregost, the director and producer of the new film Plan C that explores the work that the organization Plan C has done prior to the Dobbs decision to build a network of access to medication abortion pills and educate the public. And comedian and co-host of the War
3: Report podcast, Shalewa Sharp will drop some knowledge on us. Join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. FBK Live is edited by Remy Tournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front.
1: And finally, we leave you with Jonathan Shelley, a man who shows us his whole ass by yearning for a world with wetter breasts
4: look at verse 14 give them a lord what wilt thou give give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts this according to scripture is a curse unto people yet this is almost what every american girl wants i mean almost every american girl is striving to have a dry womb and dry breasts and they're drying it up through birth control they're drying it up through the pill they're drying it up through all kinds of just inventions and devices and in fact there's even arguably wicked and evil people in our society that are trying to dry up the womb and the breasts of people for them
2: feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from abortion access front new episodes drop friday when bs is popping we pop off and if you want to support our podcast and all the work of abortion access front like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/FeministBuzzkills.
1: Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile Coach Maria. Let's go. First question: You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board?
3: Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously online at the same time.
1: Correct. Next.